This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke. It's found in chapter 19, beginning in verse 29. We are in a series called Conversations That Make a Difference. And the conversation that is recorded today is in all four Gospels. It's Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It does mark the beginning of Holy Week. The conversation ends with Jesus in tears. Listen to the word of the Lord. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this. The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept throwing their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down the Mount of the Path, down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. From your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, now is the time that you're visiting us, right now, and our ears are willing to be open. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak a word that we need so much to hear today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to think of 
happy times in life that often is a wedding. So many people cry during a wedding ceremony. The bride, the groom, parents, family members, friends, they all cry at some point. Another happy time that makes us cry is witnessing the birth of a baby. Now, when do men cry? Gentlemen's Quarterly GQ offered an analysis on when guys will shed tears, knowing that it only happens between the uh, three closed or after the three closed doors to separate them from anyone else. Here are the ones that they have named. Men may cry in extreme pain, like if a piano dropped from a 50-story window on a man's foot. If he's going to cry from pain, it has to be at least 8 on a scale of 1 to 10. Men may also cry at certain works of arts or film. And a man may cry if he's the athlete that brings his team to championship victory. But never, ever cry if you're just a fan. Now, Jesus cries on what looks like a happy occasion. Why? We're going to look at the context. We're going to look then at the peace that people want. The pain that Jesus feels. And then the peace that Jesus gives. Let's look at the context. It is the triumphal entry. It was Jesus' royal parade. It was a big. I want you to think of the last 50 years of royal weddings that you have seen televised. televised. Britain's royal weddings combined would be something akin to this royal parade. It is the one time that Jesus publicly accepts the mantle and title as Israel's Messiah and King. In verse 29 through 31, we see Jesus and his disciples with the hundreds of thousands of pilgrims traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. When Jesus gets to the Mount of Olives, which is opposite Mount Zion, which is where Jerusalem is built, he sends two of his disciples ahead of him to untie a colt that's never been ridden and to bring it to him. Now, what is going on here? Jesus is consciously fulfilling the prophecy that's written in Zechariah, Lo, your king comes to you, humble, and riding on a donkey. Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the true king. Animals that had never been written were set apart for holy purposes. A king, now going into battle, would ride in on a horse. A king who has won a battle rides in on a donkey. It's a sign that peace has been won. So Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives when he sends his disciples ahead. That also is to fulfill Zechariah's prophecy. Chapter 14, verse 4 and 9. Foretells the day when the Lord will stand on the Mount of Olives and become king over all the earth. Now look at the people's response. They under response. 
they understand the message that Jesus is sending. Immediately, they join as one voice and they praise the Messiah King, singing Psalm 118 that we heard read. The mood could be compared to a national political convention where the party's leader is finally chosen and proclaimed to the nation. In a national convention, the candidate is known ahead of time to the public before the selection, but it's at the convention that it becomes official. And you've seen such conventions. There's a lot of hoopla. Posters are waving, bands playing, balloons flying, there's confetti and lots of flags. The people hear the flags. The people here are celebrating their candidate, Jesus. They spread their outer cloaks on the road. It's like a red carpet. And they wave palm branches. These are the traditional ways that the Jews would celebrate royalty. Pardon me, but it comes to my mind as I was writing this sermon, the 1980s hit by Cool and the Gang, Celebration. You remember? Celebration time, come on. Yahoo! That's what's happening. Everybody is celebrating. This is a party today. And that's the mood that we feel when we witness what the scene that's going on. Now, why are they celebrating? Because peace is possible. Who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Peace in heaven up there beyond sight in the future. Now, the physician, Luke, recorded the gospel according to Luke. The words peace in heaven are not the words he recorded that the angels presented to the shepherds on the night the king was born. Luke 2:14. Hear it. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth among those with whom he is well pleased. Peace on earth. That's what's printed on the front of our Christmas cards. That's at the top of our Christmas family photo. Our Christmas family photo that we send out. Peace on earth is what Jesus brings. It's why he came. Because ever since the beginning, in the fall, there has been no peace. No peace at all. And we can all tell it from reading history, witnessing our own history. Peace is possible through Jesus, sent by God. Peace on earth comes through Jesus, who is God with us. But this is not the peace that people want. It wasn't then, and it isn't now. In the Gospels, according to Matthew and Mark, which record this triumphal entry, the people are shouting, Hosanna! It means save us now. P 
people want peace through military might. The pilgrims going to Jerusalem want Jesus to rid the entire nation of the enemy. The enemy, it's out there, the Roman invaders. Not considering the enemy that resides in each of us. They want to restore peace through power. Jesus as their leader. They see in Jesus a leader who will secure the privileges that they once had, but now are lost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he witnessed a similar desire in the German church during the rise of nationalism under Hitler. Bonhoeffer saw Christians seeking peace through power for their, not for the sake of Christ. How similar, how similar it is today. How many people would celebrate Jesus today if he would simply restore our way of life before the pandemic? For our sake, not for any purpose of his own. In an interview with Mark Golley, former editor-in-chief of Christianity Today magazine, Stephen Prothero observed, quote, There's a freedom and even a playfulness that Americans have with Jesus. The flexibility our Jesus exhibits is unprecedented. There's a Gumby-like quality to Jesus in the United States, something that was unknown to Americans in the colonial period. The peace people, people want is peace without Christ. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis confesses, I am progressing along the path of my life in my ordinary, contentedly fallen and godless condition, absorbed in a merry meeting with my friends for the morrow, or a bit of work that tickles my vanity today, a holiday or a new book, when suddenly a headline in the newspapers threatens us all with destruction. That sends this whole pack of cards tumbling down. At first I am overwhelmed, and all my little happinesses look like broken toys. Then slowly and reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into the frame of mind that I should be in all times. I remind myself, I remind myself that all these toys were never intended to possess my heart, that my true good is in another world, and my only real treasure is Christ. And perhaps by God's grace, I succeed for a day or two, and become consciously dependent on God. But the moment the threat is withdrawn, my whole nature leaps back to the toys. Let God but sheathe that sword for a moment. I behave like a puppy when the hated bath is over. I shake myself as dry as I can and race off to reacquire my comfortable dirtiness. The peace. That people want is peace without Christ. Let's look now at the pain that Jesus feels. 
Why it happens? Well, the crowd is praising him as he descends from the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem comes into view. Is Jesus crying for himself because he knows the suffering that is ahead for him? Is that why he weeps? Verse 41 tells us, As Jesus came near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over the suffering that was taking place in the people's lives in the city. Its inhabitants, not his own life. This week I was on the phone with a woman who's been cooped inside the confines of her small home for the past three weeks. She's caring for needy family members who live with her. The pandemic has turned her life upside down, costing her greatly. She was crying over she was crying over the phone with me. Why? Because her life is now so greatly affected? No. Her tears were because she was thinking of the homeless who are living in shelters who cannot protect themselves through social distancing who share the same bathroom, who must get up at the crack of dawn, pack up all their things, and hang out on the streets with no public places to gather, returning at dusk when the doors reopen. This woman was crying for the homeless and for their children who suffer the most of all. Do you shed tears for those whose needs are greater than your own? This is the heart of Jesus. Jesus weeps over the the city. God is weeping too. This is not the first time that Jesus wept. In John 11.35, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He did it when he saw Mary's crying, sobbing, When her brother Lazarus had died, Jesus enters her pain and he sobs too. Do you know that God is crying with you right now? I'd like you to remember this. How Jesus acts is who God is. How Jesus acts is who God is. God weeps with us and for us. And when Jesus sees the coming devastation of Jerusalem, which occurred in AD 70, he weeps. God does not desire that any of us should perish. John 3, 16. The cry that Jesus makes is loud. It's the loud lamentation of one mourning over their dead. Jesus is like the prophet Jeremiah who wept bitterly over the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus looks at Jerusalem. He weeps because it has destroyed itself. Remember the Disney movie Pinocchio? It was based on a 19th century children's story written as a metaphor of the human condition. A lonely old woodcarver named Geppetto carved a little puppet boy, named it Pinocchio. And seeing the wishing star one night, Geppetto wishes that Pinocchio would become real. That night, the blue fairy brings Pinocchio and instructs the wooden boy 
to shun evil and follow good. Pinocchio is not fully alive. His body is still made of wood. He does not do as the fairy instructs or Geppetto wants. Instead, Pinocchio keeps getting into trouble one after another, breaking Geppetto's heart. Pinocchio's careless ways lead to his capture and placement on an island for naughty boys who are sent on to labor in the salt mines. Hearing of Pinocchio's capture, Geppetto takes a boat in order to rescue him, but is instead swallowed up by a huge whale, Monstro. Pinocchio escapes the island, drowns, and is washed ashore. Near the end of the movie, Geppetto is kneeling over the dead, over the dead body of his wooden boy, and he sobs. Why? Why does Geppetto cry when all the wooden boy has done is disappoint him and bring him sorrow? He cries because he loves what he has made. He wants his wooden boy to live. Jesus weeps. He wants us to live and not perish. And the only way for us to live is by receiving the peace that Jesus brings. Let's look now at the peace that Jesus brings. Verse 42, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. Verse 44, you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Recognize. It means <clears throat> to, to know and to discern. Do you know what makes for peace? Is it the UN? Is it our nation's political leaders? Is it the world's doctors or scientists or economists? What can make peace so that our world is righted and nations cooperate and resources are shared and our homes are safe, our children educated, and our future is bright? Do we know what makes for peace? We do not until we recognize the visitation of God. Peace on earth begins within the human heart. This is where the king seeks reign, in the human heart. Transformation of society comes from transformed lives who are reconciled to God through Jesus. Are you at peace with God? Accept the visitation of God in Jesus, the Lord, the King of all, the Messiah. He alone brings peace on earth by giving you the peace of heaven in your heart and under your roof. The peace Jesus brings unites races, classes, and nations. Jürgen Moltmann put it this way. God weeps with us so that we may someday laugh with him. I didn't finish the story of Pinocchio. Geppetto carried his dead wooden boy home, laid him in his bed, 
and wept over him. The blue fairy appeared and said, Awake, Pinocchio, awake. Pinocchio is supernaturally transformed from a wooden boy into one who is fully alive, complete with flesh and bones. He sits up and rubs his eyes. And seeing Geppetto weeping over him, Pinocchio calls out, Father, what are you crying for? Unable to comprehend what has transpired, Geppetto answers, Because you are dead, Pinocchio. Released from his former life, Pinocchio replies, No, I'm not. I'm alive. See? I'm real. I'm a real boy. Do you want to be fully alive to God, receiving the peace that Jesus brings? It's the only peace that brings peace on earth. Do you want it? It's yours through Jesus of Nazareth who goes to the cross that you may have life now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.